0: I want to talk a little bit today about the Bible, but uh, first, uh, just a little bit of review. We, uh, we talked about, uh, let's see if I can turn this on first, that, that would help, huh? We talked about this verse last week, set, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. For us to be having some answers and to be able to answer people with hope. The hope that we have. And why do we have any hope? First of all, do we have any hope? And secondly, why do we have hope? And really it's found in the Lord Jesus. But but some of the things we talked about last week, the Bible, and we're going to talk about that today. We talked about our, our own testimony, how our lives that are changed speak the history of the church and other arguments that uh, are made philosophical and other other arguments that are made uh, for the reasons that we have the defense the apologia the the apologetics that we talked about that each one of us can find the answers and again it's so easy to find these answers you just you if you have a computer uh, you can find the answers to just about any question uh, as far as uh the reasons what our faith is based upon. Because again, as I said before, it's a reasonable faith. It's not a blind faith. So today I want to talk about the Bible. And the Bible really uh, is, is our first foundation. It's the best-selling book in history. People have, li- have believed it. People have lived by it. They have died for it. As we heard about this morning, and the question is about this book, and the, reason, the question I want to a- answer today is, can we trust it? This book that we have, we talk about it and we, we, we hold it in our hands, we teach from it uh, week after week, but can we trust it? I want you to turn with me to Psalm 19, verses 7 and 8 today. This is our, uh, our foundation verses for what I'm going to talk about today. Psalm 19, verses 7 and 8, if you want to turn there with me. This is a psalm of David, and he's speaking really about what God has given to us. And he says in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Is that incredible? This is the word that we're talking about—the the Bible, the Scripture that God has given to us—and and, and uh, you know all those things. It's it's perfect. It's trustworthy. It's right. It's radiant for us. But again, you could just read this verse to somebody and say, well, that's just the Bible talking about itself, right? And that's just a, what they call circular reasoning. And, and, and you're backing up saying the Bible is trustworthy because the Bible says it's trustworthy. But really, it, it is more than that. And that's what I want to kind of go through some of those things today. Um, you know, as I said, it's the best-selling book, but it's not only the best-selling, it's the most quoted, the most published, most circulated, most translated, most in Influential book in the history of mankind there is no second there's no close second whatsoever to this book that we have this book that we have based our lives and our faith upon I might mention as well as we as we think about this that the Bible itself claims to be the word of God right it claims to be God's word that that God gave it to us it says in 2nd Timothy 3 that all scripture is what God breathe or inspired by God, breathe out from God. It's from Him. That's what Paul was teaching there in 2 Timothy chapter 3. In 2 Peter chapter 1, it says that this wasn't just, these weren't just the uh, interpretations, these, these weren't just the, you know, things that men came up with, but it says that they spoke from God as they were carried along or as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. This is what the Bible teaches about this book that we have, God's Word, that it that it came from Him. Again, this is what the Bible is saying about itself, and that's important for us to know. But it may not be something that, you know, somebody else who you're trying to give a reason for the hope that you have is going to accept. They'll say, well, that's just because it says it about itself. I believe it's true what it says about itself, but... and. The bigger picture is this book, this Bible, it's, it's so, it's incredible when you start to think about it, and we're going to go through this pretty quickly, uh, I have 10 different reasons that I got from a guy named Charlie Campbell who, uh, there's an excellent website uh, that uh, we can point you to, but this book, it tells us about so many things, it tells us about where we came from, it tells us about who we are. It tells us about the future. It tells us uh, uh, how to live. But most importantly, it tells us about the Savior Jesus. Most importantly, it brings this message around to the one and only hope that we have, this book. So if if this book is so important, the question again is, can we trust it? Is it a book that we can trust and put our hope in in and upon? One person said this, So, he said, the Bible is a collection of different books written at different times by different authors from different places in different styles and in different languages and with different audiences and different purposes. It also happens to be the best-selling book of all time and is available in nearly 3,000 languages. There's no other book that even is close. Ultimately, though, he says, the Bible is one book about the one, true, and living God. The Bible is written with the primary purpose of revealing who God is through His work in history so that we can see our lives as inextricably connected to Him in every way and only meaningful, that is, our lives when understood in light of Him. This book really has the answers for life. This book here that, that we're talking about today, it's one book. It's one message. So, so let's look at some reasons to, to trust this book. And again, this is from a website called alwaysbeready.com. Obviously, he chose his, um, his uh, theme from the verse there in Peter that we've already talked about. But number one, and we'll go through these, and you may say that's kind of academic, but th- these are things that, people, uh, that you can share with people about this book. And number one is the fulfilled prophecy that it didn't switch to. There it is, Fulfilled Prophecy, that there are, in this particular book, there are about 2,500 prophecies, but some 2,000 of them have already been fulfilled. Many of them about the Messiah, of course, and we've just gone through Christmas and we think about that, that, that hundreds of years before Jesus came, Messiah came, Savior came, that it was prophesied about him, that he would be born, what, of the, of the tribe of Judah. That he would be in the line of David. That he would be born in Bethlehem. That he would be of a virgin. That he would die. And it, talked about, it talks about in Psalm 22, his death and how it would take place. The Bible talks about the fact that he would rise from the dead as well. And another, another very interesting and contemporary thing is the regathering of the, of the people of, of Israel, the Jewish nation being brought back together. This, this idea of fulfilled prophecy in the Bible, there is no other book like it. There are some 26 other religious books, uh, main, major re- religious books, I should say, and, and not one of them is, is anywhere near. This doesn't even have this kind of thing, this kind of prophetic uh, focus. The second thing I want to mention is the, the archaeological evidence that <clears throat> the, the discoveries that are being found today <clears throat> and, and through the years, that these archaeological discoveries that they're finding, they they prove the Bible rather than disprove the Bible. There is no new discovery that has disproved the Bible, but rather they prove it. And again, each one of these points I'm talking about today is a whole field in itself. You could, you could study and we could talk for weeks about just the archaeology, the fact of, of what they keep finding. Now, there are so many places in Israel they can't just go dig because people live there, right? Right? But when they have these opportunities, and many times in the city of Jerusalem itself, and they have these opportunities, the things that they find are absolutely incredible, but they always back up what the Bible says. They always prove what the Scriptures teach. There's no other book like that. The third thing there is, is uh, I, I think, is incredible, and the quote that I just read is, It really talks about that, the internal consistency of this book from Genesis to Revelation, that there is one message through this book. I talked uh, last week about the scarlet thread of redemption. Uh, I talked about that at Christmas, this scarlet thread that runs from Genesis all the way to Revelation, the the one message about Jesus being the Savior of the world. But let's think about this for a minute. We call it one book, but really, this book is really 66 different authors, right? Right? There's 66 different authors that wrote this book. There are, excuse me, 66 books, 40. I'm sorry. Get that right. Got to read my notes. 66 books, but 40 different authors. That's a lot of different authors. I mean, you try to get two or three authors to write together and to agree on something today. That's going to be a miracle. You try to get two or three people in this room to agree on anything today, and that's going to be a problem. Uh, We might agree about one thing, but it won't take long where we find where, well, I don't really agree with you about that. Forty different authors, all different backgrounds, and not only that, not only 40 different people, but but this is over a 1,500-year time period that they wrote this book. 1,500 years. So that means, you know, that the guy that's writing earlier doesn't know what the guy's going to write, you know, 400, 600, 800 years later. There's no way that he's going to know what he's going to write. And the guy that's writing over here doesn't necessarily have all the answers of what somebody else is writing over here in this other particular place. They wrote in three different languages. Can anybody tell me what those are? Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, that's right. But yet, one message, this book. There's, no, there's nothing like it. There's nothing in the world, there's no book in the world that can compare to this book. See, again, we talked about apologetics last week. Apologetics is good to share with other people, but you know what? It's also good for us. I think it's first and foremost good for us to me to know that I can trust this book, that God did something absolutely miraculous, supernatural, incredible, when he put this thing together for you and me to have. Forty different authors over 1,500 years. And yet, there's one message that runs throughout this whole book. Let me read again what I said from this guy. He says that, the Bible was written or is written with the primary pur- purpose of revealing who God is and that our, only meaningful, our lives are only meaningful when understood in light of Him. You see, it's all about God and man, this relationship between God and the human race. This is the only book that has all the answers to, to life. And the main answer is how do we, how do we have a relationship with God? Why, why, is, why is there a problem? You go back to Genesis 3. What happened? You know, where did we come from? The next uh, thing I have here is number four, writings outside the Bible. Uh, again, I got these from Charlie Campbell. Writings outside the Bible that, that verify the Bible. Uh, it's not just the Bible talking about itself, but there are books that have written, historians that have written uh, about that, things that verify what the Bible has said. Like from the Babylonians, some of the writings in the Babylonians, the Romans, and other historians like a, a man named Joseph, Josephus wrote about things that were going on in the time of Jesus and, and verified some of the facts that are written there. They keep finding things. They, 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 through the years, you know, they said, well, we haven't found anything that, that tells us that there was a man named David, for example. But sure enough, archaeology then comes up and they find things that are written that say there was a man named David and he was a king. Facts about the world and, and our, our universe that the Bible talks about and, you know it's pretty fascinating. Again, each one of these is a is a whole subject. But uh, before the scientists discovered that these things were true, the Bible is already talking about them. Things like uh, the sun and the rotation, things like the shape of the Earth. The Bible already talked about the fact that the Earth was round. But what did people believe for the longest period of time? The Earth is flat. The stars. I read an interesting article uh, the other day uh, that was published on the um, Wall Wall Street Journal on Christmas Day. It looks like the the online version. And the title is this, Science Increasingly Makes the Case for God. He says, The odds of life existing on another planet... Grow ever longer intelligent design anyone and the whole concept he 's talking about here is that you know there was a guy, well you know back there back in nineteen sixty six they the Time magazine had this article you know on the cover is God dead kind of thing and but closer and closer closer we get if there was a guy named Carl Sagan in. Some of you have heard about him. He's an astronomer. But he had lots of different strange ideas. And he, and he said, you know, that there, the possibility of life on other planets, you know, there could be, uh, all, all they really need is, he said, the right kind of star and a planet, the right distance from the star. He said that's all they needed for life on another planet. Well, you know, come to find out, well, you know, that's really not true. They need a lot more than that. And as they've been studying this and studying this, they're saying, well, you know, the, the actual fact is that it, the odds are that life could exist on any planet, even our own planet, are, are absolutely astronomical, talking about astronomy. In fact, um, he went on to say this. Where is it? Uh, he said, uh, let me find it. I can't find it here. I had it here somewhere. Anyways, they, so, so they're believing that you know, life could be on all these other planets, so they started this, this group called the SETI, which is a search for extraterrestrial intelligence, right? And they spent a lot of money on it, our money, and also private funds to try to listen, and they had these big listening things, and they listened, to the, and listened for the coded language from these other planets. But they began to realize, you know what, this is, this is not really what's happening here. They are, it says here, far more factors necessary for life than this guy Carl Sagan supposed. And it, it just began to get snowballing. And it says here that the odds turned against any planet in the universe supporting life, including this one, probably, probability said that even we shouldn't be here. So what is that pointing to? What it points to in the end is that there was an intelligent design. There was a creator. I like what he says here, doesn't assuming that an intelligence created these perfect conditions require far less faith than believing that a life-sustaining Earth just happened to beat the inconceivable odds to come into being? It's just not. But there was a guy here, and you've heard of this guy's name, Fred Hoyle. He, it says here, he was the astronomer who coined the term Big Bang. You've heard of the Big Bang, right? He said that his atheism was greatly shaken at these developments. These developments, affect the fact that, you know, the odds of something like this happening are just out of this world. He says he later wrote that a common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with the physics as well as with chemistry and biology. Really? This is the guy who told us about the Big Bang that, that we all like say, oh yeah, that's how it happened. A theoretical physicist, Paul Davies, has said that the appearance of design is overwhelming. An Oxford professor, John, Dr. John Lennox, has said, the more we get to know about our universe, the more the hypothesis that there is a creator gains in credibility as the best ex- explanation of why we are here. See why did I talk about that? It's because the the things in science they're they're not disproving the fact of God. In fact, the the more we learn, the more we know. We're realizing, wow, how did this happen? Where did this come from? Where did we come from? It points to a, a super intellect, like Hoyle says. It points to an intelligent design, a creator. That God created the earth. The next thing I want to talk about and I find this one really fascinating, is manuscript evidence. And when I say manuscript evidence, what that means is handwritten copies before the Gutenberg press was uh, invented, and they, they created the, the uh, uh, you know, a, a printing press. And does anybody know what he first printed? The Bible, the Bible was the first book that he printed on this, on this Gutenberg press. In fact, they say that, that uh, there are a few copies. Uh, there are not many copies of that but they say they're worth some 25 million dollars each if you have one of those um, I'll share it with you and we'll see what we can do but they're they're priceless they're in museums and that kind of thing now but anyways this these handwritten copies there are there are thousands and thousands for the new testament owned there are some 25,000 Manuscripts, handwritten copies that have, you know, survived through the years. Now, these aren't the original, these aren't the first one that, say, Paul wrote, and these kinds of things, but these but these are handwritten copies. And there are thousands of the Old Testament. Now, compare that to, and I have a graphic, and I hope, I hope you're going to be able to see this here, but uh, compare that, no, you can't see that, but um, I can barely see it, and I'm close. But it says there... Uh, Uh, 25,000 right there, 24,000 New Testament copies, and the years between the original and the earliest surviving copy was 40 to 70 years. Okay, this is for the New Testament now. So there was 40 to 70 years from the the time the original, the first guy wrote that down, and then the copies that we have today. So 24,000 copies Okay, this is for the New Testament. Now, you jump to some of these other writings that people talk about here, like uh, Aristotle, right? 49, 49 manuscript copies. But look, look at the distance here, the time between when he wrote it and the copy, the first copy we have, fourteen 1,400 years. That's a massive difference. But yet yeah, you talk to somebody about Aristotle, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. We can trust what Aristotle said because we have it, right? You see what I'm saying here? The logic that, that we use for all these other documents and these philosophers, uh, it, but, but they don't want to apply that to what the Bible says. But look at these different guys, Caesar and uh, Plato. Seven copies. 1,200 years in between when Plato wrote it and the first copy that we have that survived. Seven copies. But do, does anybody question that Plato wrote these things? The veracity, the truthfulness of these books, these things that were written by these people? No. But the the evidence that we have for the New Testament is absolutely phenomenal. That that holds up the truthfulness of this book, that we have these copies from 40 to 70 years from when the very first one was written. That's insane. You know, they discovered back in 1947 the Dead Sea Scrolls. And they say, well, what are the Dead Sea Scrolls? Well, the Dead Sea is a place in Israel, and they had these caves there. And, and some boys were out playing or whatever, maybe one or I don't know how many boys, but uh, they discovered this cave. And inside this cave, there were these, these manuscripts, these documents they found they were sealed. They said, wow, this, this looks kind of important. Well, they went to, to see what they were and they went and dug all these out of these caves and it, and it turned up that, that they were copies of the Old Testament from 300 B.C. 300 B.C. they, they were copies and, they, and then they went and compared them to documents and, and, and other manuscripts that they have that were more current and there was very little difference. See, it just backed up that what we have is true. It backed up that, that the writings that we have are trustworthy. There's nothing like that. Ravi Zacharias, who we talked about last week as an apologist, he, says he, he summarized it in this way, in terms of the manuscript evidence. He said, in real terms, the New Testament is easily the best attested ancient writing in terms of the sheer number of documents. The time span between the events and the documents and the variety of documents available to sustain or contradict it. He says there is nothing in ancient manuscript evidence to match such textual availability and integrity. Integrity, that's what I like to hear about. This is a book with integrity. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. So why, so why wouldn't everybody follow it? What's the bottom line reason for that? Because we don't want to. We don't want to look at the facts. We don't want to look at what the truth is and say, and, and surrender and submit to it. This next one is, is kind of interesting about the fact that the Bible's honesty about the, the characters in it. Now, if I was going to write a book, I would, I would just like write all the good stuff. But God gave it all, you know, warts and all, the the failures and the successes of all the people in it. That in itself uh, talks about the honesty. And again, that's not enough to convince somebody, but for you and I to know this is a book that is true. Because look how true it is. Look how honest it is. The next one about the... The, the historical value and the persecution of the early Christians, you wonder about it, uh, you know, that if, if they hadn't seen those things, if they weren't eyewitnesses to those things that they wrote about, why would they be willing to die for a lie? And Jim talked about the fact that it's still happening today, but those people who were there, those apostles who were there, who saw, those that were eyewitnesses, they gave their lives for the truth. Why would they just, you know, if it, was, if it was just kind of some story they just made up, why would they give their lives for it? It doesn't make any sense, right? It's even happening today. People are giving their lives, sacrificing their lives for the truth. Only two more. The next one, the Bible's Power to Change Lives. We talked about this last week and, and, and the fact that, that you look through history and see people's lives have been changed. That's an objective thing that you can, you know, it's subjective in one sense, but it's objective. You can look at someone's life and you say, well, that person's life is changed. It's different. Something is different. We're going to have these girls next week from from Teen Challenge. And you know what? You look at some of them and they tell their stories and they're pretty honest. They're very honest, as a matter of fact. but, But you look at what's it's happened in their lives. How, how did that happen? It's through a relationship with God, through reading what God has uh, given to us in His Word, and you see these lives that are, that are changed. Charlie Campbell, the, the guy who gave us these points, he said, No other book in the world has had the transforming effect upon lives and societies for good than that of the Bible. No other book has had the kind of positive influence that the Bible has had. I can't think of any other book. In fact, the ones that I think about are are causing chaos and causing destruction and evil. But if you look at the history of some of the hospitals and the orphanages and the schools and the universities and, and people going out and doing humanitarian work in the name of the gospel of Jesus Christ, in the name and being inspired by the word of God to go out and serve people, That's phenomenal. That's incredible. The last one, Jesus' affirmation of the scriptures, well, you have to believe that Jesus exists, which you have to be um, pretty much an ostrich with your head in the sand to say that Jesus never existed. But this guy who changed the history of the whole world, he affirms what's written in the Old Testament. Over and over again, he quotes from the Old Testament. He says, haven't you heard what it said there? Don't you know what it says back there? And if we can't trust him, who can we trust? Right? He's the one we trust. So, again, each one of these is a whole subject in and of itself. So the question is, can we trust the Bible? This is just the beginning. You could study for, for weeks and months and years. So many good books written about this. so much good information on the Internet about this book that we call the Bible can we trust it? Well, the answer is yes, we can trust it. Yes, we can trust this book, the Bible, the, the word that God has given to us. And, and I want each one of us to be encouraged. I want us to, have, to know that it is a book of integrity. Now, does that mean we understand everything that it's, that's in it? No. I read something this morning. I go, wow, I don't, I don't understand that. But does it change the fact that it's been given to us by God a, a, book that we can build our lives upon. Charles Coulson, whose life was completely, talk about a life that was turned around. Chuck Coulson, remember, was working for a president. Anybody know which president? Nixon. Richard Nixon, and uh, he was involved on the whole you know, Watergate uh, scandal and everything, and he ended up going to prison for it. But he found Jesus Christ, and God changed his life. Talk about a changed life in prison. His life was completely turned around because of this book and, and, and he gave his life to reaching people all around the world and especially people in prisons. But here he says these words. He says, For me, it's not a matter of blind faith. I believe in the Bible and the earth-shattering claims it makes because the sheer weight of the evidence is impossible to ignore. Mm-hmm. The sheer weight of the evidence is impossible to ignore we ignore it by choice we ignore it to our own peril so all that to say this this is a bible this is a book that God has given to us that we can trust so what are we going to do about it what's the next step I should say so what's your point, in thinking? The point, the point of the matter is that you and I, knowing what is true about this book, is that we need to open it up, right? You and I need to open it up. There are people that, are, that, are, uh, that don't have the privilege of having their own copy. But you and I, we have multiple copies, but do we even open it up? It's worth studying. It's worth reading. It's worth living by. It's worth listening to. I'll close with a quote from Charlie Campbell again. He says, friend, you can trust the Bible. You can read it with confidence. You can stand upon its promises. You can draw comfort from its pages, its passages. You can gain wisdom from its pages. And best of all, you can know your Creator by reading it. What a joy it is to know God and to live for Him. I challenge you and I encourage you that, that this year... You know, I'm not all about um, these, you know, promises that we make at the beginning of the year. What do you call those? Resolutions. I'm not all about that kind of thing, but you know what? I am all about following after Jesus. And Jesus says in John chapter 8, you know, if you are truly my disciples... If you really are one of my disciples, you'll, you'll follow my word. You'll get into my word. And the, the King James says, you'll abide in my word. I think for you and I, we need, you know, if there's anything else uh, that, that, that we should focus on, if there's anything that we should focus on and, and let other things slide, it's opening up the book of God, God's word. Maybe you just need to go to the New Testament. Maybe the Old Testament confuses you. Okay, I'll buy that. I can understand that. I think think the Old Testament is full of beautiful gems and treasures, personally. And I read it. But the New Testament really is kind of right where we are, isn't it? And it, it focuses on Jesus. So if you just want to read the New Testament the rest of your life, praise God, hallelujah. Let's get Pentecostal. I'd be happy if you read it all. That's great, too. But you know what? Just open it up. Please. How do you do that? You have to have a few minutes every day. I, I'm a practical kind of person. You've got to take a few minutes every day. It doesn't. It's not going to do it itself. You're not going to... Uh, you can't do it... Let me just say that you can't do it um, during the commercials of the TV program. you only got two minutes... Some of those commercial breaks are pretty long. Maybe you could. I don't know. (laughs) Like you thought, God, there's another commercial. Like, please. But I can't focus on that. I can't focus when the TV's blasting in my ear. So you find that time. What's a good time for you? Where you where you gonna be? Maybe it's just before you go to bed, go to sleep. Maybe it's when you just wake up. Find that. 5 or 10 or 15 minutes and, and open up the book. Start in the New Testament. Just read a little bit. Read a little bit. I read, I read about a chapter a day. Okay? And what I do, and I, I make it's no secret, I, I, I have a marker in the Old Testament. I have a marker in the New Testament. And today I'll, I'll read in the Old Testament. Tomorrow I'll read in the New Testament. I just go back and forth and read about a chapter or maybe sometimes less and just go through it like that. And if you do that, I find it I used to, I did the thing where you go through the whole Bible in one year and I think that's really good too, but you got to read pretty fast. It's hard to take a lot in. So I kind of slowed down. I did that for a few years and I kind of slowed down, but but to it takes about 3 or 4 years to get through the whole Bible. That's okay. We're not in a race, right? You know, it's, it's not like, well, you know, I'm going to boast about what, you know, I read, the, I read the Bible 27 times. Yeah, but did you understand it? Did you follow it? You know, it's not a race. It's, it's life. It's food for the soul. Let's read those verses in Psalm 19 again, if your Bibles are still open there. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. And the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. What's going to get you through? It's God's word. God's speaking to you through his word and what God has revealed to us by his word. And that's why we study. That's why we read. That's why we focus on his word. Let's pray together, shall we? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and, and uh, we're just human beings and, and your word is, is actually eternal, it says. And your word will never pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your words will never pass away. So Father, I pray you would guide us and, and help us. And the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, Lord, so help us to be people of the book, people of your word, this incredible, incredible book that we have that's been given to us by you. Father, help us, we pray. Not afraid to say help us, we need help. Lord, I, I, uh, I come to you this morning and, 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 and just pray that you would uh, continue to open our hearts and lives to what you want for us as we surrender to you in this brand new year and as we make time in our busy lives for you and, and for your word. Father, I pray for any here today, too, that don't know you and, and haven't come to that message of what the Bible says. I pray that, that, they would, that they would simply today surrender and say yes to Jesus. That's God's message for you that he loves you, that he gave his life for you, that he died on the cross for your sins, and that he wants you to have eternal life. And all you need to do is open your heart to him and say, yes, please come in. Please forgive me. Please be my savior, my Lord. Father God, we commit to you ourselves again today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together, shall we?